give it up, everybody. I thought we'd get a little more action with some hammer time, but I guess y'all aren't into hammer time. Hey, listen, man, welcome to Faith Church. I want to welcome those who are watching online, man. Can we welcome our online family as well? Thanks for joining us wherever you are. I want to welcome each of you guys again, man. We just want you to know we apologize. We know things are tight, but that is the purpose of our remodel is to add more seats. So, man, we just appreciate your patience. If you're a first-time guest, man, thanks so much for the grace, and we hope you have a great experience, even if it is a little tight. And if you'll just be patient with us for about another two months, we can get into a brand-new auditorium with lots of spacious seating. So God bless you guys, man. Thanks for being patient. Hey, listen, man, we are in the third week of a series we started a few weeks ago entitled Comfort Foods because I don't know about you, but I like me some comfort foods. And so we just have been talking about with the first of the year. You know, we know this, whether you go to church or not, everybody views a new year as new opportunities for a new beginning, that you can make adjustments in who you are and lifestyles and kind of it's a time just to take a look at your life and see maybe where you need to change. And so what we've been talking about through this series is maybe we don't need a health change, we need a heart change, where so many people decide that they're going to diet and exercise and those are important and those are good and those are valuable, but if you don't make the right adjustments, you won't really have the right outcome. And so we've just been talking about maybe what some of these adjustments look like. If you've not been able to be here, I would encourage you to take a few minutes and jump online at igotofaith.com, and you can podcast, videocast, whatever you want to do. There's lots of ways to get the previous messages, but maybe catch up from, uh, from where we've been through now. But today, listen, let me just ask you guys a question. How many of you here are a part of or have been a part of the CYP generation? Now, if you don't know what the CYP generation is, let me tell you and quickly, some of you will identify that you are a part of it. The CYP generation is clean your plate generation. Anybody here was raised in a home where you couldn't get up until the dinner plate was empty? Wave at me. Wave at me. Listen, here's the thing I remember, man, as a kid, that's not a problem. I was raised in that kind of home. If you have cake for dinner, I'm all done. It's time to go outside and play. If it's like just like fried chicken and mashed potatoes, I'm good. The problem is my kind of, my uh, childhood foe was succotash. I remember many a nights having the battle with succotash. Now, you know what succotash is? Succotash has three main ingredients. It has corn. I mean, you just can't go wrong with corn. We're old-time friends. Peppers, I can kind of do peppers, but lima beans was my kryptonite. And so growing up as a kid, kind of here's how it was. You could not get up from the dinner table until you cleaned your plate, which means whatever mom put on the plate, you couldn't hide it. You couldn't wrap it in a napkin. You couldn't feed it to the dog. You couldn't tuck it underneath the mashed potatoes. You had to get it down you. So it's funny. In fact, I tried to get one of these pictures and was not able to, but my parents, I've seen these. My parents have um, these adoringly cute uh, pictures of me as a child sitting at the dinner table at like 10 o'clock at night asleep because the lima beans won. And some of you guys, you can relate, and I'm, I'm still in counseling. I'm still kind of working through those issues. And, but like some of you guys, in this, you were raised that way, and here's why. Let me just, you know this. Did my parents, did they force me to eat those foods? Did they force me to sit at that table because they're cruel and because they're torturous, because they're vile, wicked parents? Absolutely not. They did that because this is what they know. A growing boy needs his nutrients. And so is there a way to try to make sure that I ate what I needed? And, uh, you know, I look back and I didn't, I didn't like it. Um, while now we can laugh about it, at the time I thought they were wicked, vile, torturous parents. But the truth was because they loved me, they wanted to make sure that I had what I needed. Now, while you as a parent, for you that are parents, um, maybe you're not raising your kids that way. For all of us in this room who were children, maybe your parents didn't raise you this way. But here's what I know is 
there's probably nobody in this room that you, as a child, was allowed to eat whatever you wanted. Isn't that right? At some level, there was something that your parent or parents tried to govern what you would eat. They tried to make sure that there was a limit to the junk food and that they tried to put into your diet somehow, whether they made you sit at the table or whether they limited you know, snacks before dinner. There was probably some way to limit what you had because they cared about you and wanted to make sure, again, that you had the nutrients they needed. Right? As, as growing individuals, we need the nutrients in order to get healthy and strong. I mean, this is, like, this is simple. And here's what we discovered, this is awesome, is once we got out from underneath the mom and dad's care, right, once we got out of home and we were able to go out on our own and we could eat whatever we wanted, we did. And I'm telling you, you haven't lived until you've eaten pizza for breakfast and fruity pebbles for dinner, right? You can just eat whatever you want. I mean, okay, we see you, Cole. We know you're a chef. We got it. Cole, if you're not friends with Cole Wagner, the dude is magical with food, and so he doesn't eat pizza. But the rest of us... Right? I mean, so here's my point is, though, when you have this freedom, when you can eat whatever you want, typically we tend to kind of indulge in to all the things we wanted. But quickly we realize that you can't eat whatever you want, that mom and dad really were smart. Right? Because if you eat whatever you want, you start to feel it. And if you don't feel it, you quickly start to see it. Hello, freshman 15. Right? Anybody remember graduating high school, going off to college, and you could eat whatever you wanted? You could stay up late and eat, like, you ate pizza for, like, 27 meals a week, and all of a sudden you couldn't fit in your 28-size jeans anymore? Hello! And so there's this thing in us. Watch, watch, watch. This is, this is so big. So there's this thing for all of us that as we get older and we walk into freedom to eat whatever we want, we don't eat whatever we want because we know there's consequences. We recognize the same way as when we were children that you have to limit the bad and you have to make sure that you get the good. There, there's this tension. There's this tension that exists between what we want and what we need. Think about that. Still today, for many of you in this room, you're going to leave this place and you're going to go home and eat. Many of you are going to go to a restaurant and you're going to pick up the menu. And there's going to be this thing on the inside of you screaming out what you want. And then there's going to be this little voice. It's much quieter, trust me, but telling you what you need. And while you think you probably should eat a salad or some salmon, let's be honest, we're going to go for the Sunday. Because there's this tension that we know, come on, as people, that you can eat whatever you want. But if you eat whatever you want, if you don't monitor, if you don't govern, if you don't idle back from eating bad foods, it eventually will affect you in a negative way. And so, again, there's this tension. This is, this is so big. You have to see this. There's this tension. You had it as a child. You, ex- you felt the tension as a kid of what you wanted to eat and what mom wanted you to eat. We feel the tension as adults. I'm 44 years old. I, I, I would like to eat whatever I want, but unfortunately, I know contrary to what it looks like, I don't eat whatever I want. I have to make sure I balance, limit, make sure I get what I need. I'm still sometimes, come on, please help me. I'm sometimes that little boy sitting at a table trying to force down the lima beans. And here's what I want you to know is the same way that there is a spiritual part of you that needs spiritual nutrients to be, uh, or physical uh, nutrients to be physically strong, there is a spiritual part of you that needs spiritual nutrients to be spiritually strong. The physical part of who we are, what we can touch, what we can see, isn't all there is to us. The Bible makes it clear that there's more, than, more to life, more to us, more to who we are than just the physical body. We are a spirit, a soul, and a body. And if you're going to be physically strong by eating right physically, then you have to be spiritually strong by eating or consuming right spiritually. And here's what we know. 
And this is where all of us are at in our spiritual journey is the same tension we feel with our physical diet and physical food. There is a tension in our life. Help me somebody between what we know we should have in our life, what should be present in our spiritual journey, what we should allow in our life, in our relationships, in our heart and mind, and what we want. Because how many people know sin is fun? Y'all can laugh or y'all can nod. I will acknowledge sin is awesome. In the moment, it feels great in the moment. In fact, you know, the Bible talks a lot about not just like a physical diet, where we place so much importance. The Bible talks a lot about our spiritual diet and our menu. It says things like this, for example. The Bible says in Job chapter 20, uh, verse 12, it says, talks about, uh, talks about the, the, the taste, the wonderful taste of wickedness. Now, I, can somebody just affirm with me that sometimes um, wickedness tastes wonderful? Is, is anybody else here, is anybody else like the rush of adrenaline and feeling that you get when the person in front of you doesn't move fast enough when the light turns red and you lay on the horn, help me somebody. <laughs> and there's this desire to let them know that they're number one. And listen, I'm not telling you should do that, but when you hold a grudge, when you get mad at somebody, listen to me, when sometimes you cheat and steal, when you watch things you shouldn't watch, there is this tantalizing desire that rises and we like it and it feels good. If it didn't feel good, we wouldn't keep doing it. And so the Bible says on our spiritual menu, there is this delight of wickedness. But on the other hand, Jesus talks about in Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, he says, hey, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. And so my point is the same way that there is food that we want that necessarily we shouldn't have and food that we need that we don't always desire in our spiritual journey, in order to grow, in order to become the people we need to be in our spiritual journey, in our relationship with God, we have to limit kind of this negative income that's always rushing our life. And we got to make sure that we're getting the nutrients spiritually that we need. And so the apostle Paul, he has this conversation, check it out. In Romans chapter 6, he says this. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified. Come on, say these words with me. Crucified with Christ. Now, if you're new to church or spiritual things, this might sound like a very odd statement. It might sound very foreign. But this statement or this idea of us being crucified with Christ, it is critical to our understanding of our relationship with God. Because here, here's the picture is that every one of us in this room, we are mistake makers, we're sinners, we're trip-ups, we mess up, we fall short. Is anybody with me? We all are sinners. And there's nothing we can do about it. And so here's the gospel, here's the good news, is that God loved you and I enough that he sent his son Jesus, who on the cross of Calvary, he died in our place. And here's, here's Paul talks about this. I call it the divine exchange. If I say the divine exchange... Divine exchange is, is that we took our brokenness, we took our sin, we gave it to Jesus, and he gave us his perfection and righteousness. That's awesome. That means when God looks at you as his child, he doesn't see your, he doesn't see your mistakes, your mess-ups. He doesn't see where you've fallen short. What God sees when he looks at you is he sees the same perfection and righteousness as he sees in his son Jesus. That's awesome. And so... Basically, what the Bible is saying is when Jesus was crucified, all of our sin and who we are, all the wickedness, all the gunk was crucified with Jesus. Keep reading. So, back up, so that uh, sin might lose its power in our life. Here, here's the reason he did it. What's the power of sin? 
Bible says all this happens so sin might lose its power. What's the power of sin? The power of sin is ultimately death. The power of sin is that ultimately it takes us out. Ultimately, it doesn't just kill us physically, but ultimately the Bible teaches that sin separates us from God forever. And that's why Jesus came is what was separated that we can be reconnected with our creator. But it's not just the power of sin that kills us, but ultimately it influences us. Because here's what we all know. Is there anybody in this room, have you ever not done what you wanted to do and what you wanted to do you didn't do and so you said you'll start doing next Monday? Listen, anybody here loves some Mondays? I'm all about some Mondays because Monday I'm going to do better. Monday I'm going to be better. Monday I'm going to make better decisions. Monday I'm going to the gym. Monday I'm going to be a nicer person. But how many people know Monday come and then we're like, next Monday? (laughs) Why? Why, why, why? Because, here's why, is because all of us still struggle, not just with the penalty of sin, but that influence that all of us are still pulled to want to eat off the menu to get the spiritual nutrients that are really killing us. And so he says, hey, listen, Jesus came not just to forgive you, but ultimately he came to break the power of sin in our lives. Watch this, this last part. So we are no longer slaves to sin. Y'all need to say that with me. We are no longer slaves to sin. Make it personal. I am no longer a slave to sin. Listen, that means if you're here and you're like, well, it's just who I am. It's just how I was raised. My daddy was this way, so I'm this way. It's in my DNA. Like I was just raised this way. I don't know how to live any different. When you make statements that this is just how I am and I cannot change, you are contradicting what God said because God says you can change. In Christ, you have changed. You can be free. You can live different. And his opinion has to be elevated above ours. He says we're free, and that makes us free. I'm free. I'm free. Keep rolling. Verse 7. He says, For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. So again, the divine exchange. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For God made Jesus, God made him who knew no sin, he was perfect, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. It's the divine exchange. And ultimately, because Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who died a sacrificial death and rose bodily from the grave, and here's what we pray every week, and maybe at the end of this service, some of you are gonna pray this prayer. Jesus, I give you my sin, and I receive the gift of your righteousness. And because you live, I live. Because Jesus lives forever in his grace and in his forgiveness, we have eternal life. That's not just living forever. That's quality of life as well. Check this out, verse 9. And we are sure, come on, read it with me. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. Check this out now, verse 11. We'll catch some traction. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Let me just tell you what this is talking about. He's saying, okay. So the same way in our lives, again, we have this tension between what we want and what we need. The same way we want foods that are not good for us, let's be honest, there are decisions in our lives, daily decisions, things we think, things we do, things we say that we thrive on. We love how it tastes in our life. Listen, I love good gossip. I don't like just hearing it. I like sharing it. That'll limit a pastor's counseling load right there, that statement. But listen, I changed the names and locations of the innocent to... Right? (laughs) 
Listen, I've, I've, watched, I've watched things on TV too long and should have changed the channel earlier. I've thought things, said things, and it felt good in the moment. But here's the thing. He's saying, listen, you want to overcome that? Jesus came and he died on the cross that in who he is and us in him, he ultimately set us free. But sometimes we don't feel free. And so he says, here's the secret. He says, consider, read it with me, consider yourselves to be dead. He's saying, I'm giving you the power to play dead. Here's what it looks like. Y'all know this, and I hate to always talk about it, but you know it, and it's just how I relate some things. Like, I do, I really do love Krispy Kreme donuts. It really is, it's an addiction. And here's the sad part is some of you should feel awful about it because you're all a bunch of enablers. <laughs> I couldn't tell you the last time I personally went and, and spent a dollar of my money and bought a Krispy Kreme donut. But all of you people who graciously love me, and I'm so glad you love me, like, Pastor, we love you, and we know you've been trying to lose weight, so we brought you some donuts. Really? <laughs> And so I sit in my office and I'm like, I'm not going to eat those donuts. I don't need those donuts. But probably just one donut. And th- like you, those things are like Lay's. You can't eat just one, especially if they're still hot. Double fist those things. Two, four, six, eight. Who do we appreciate? Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme. <laughs> Listen, so some of you, stop it. Listen, you don't take a crack at it, crack. Listen, stop bringing me donuts. So I'm just telling you, listen. Y'all think I'm playing. I'm not playing at all. Michelle, my, our, our receptionist, everybody in the office knows, like, I'm like, man, I don't need those. And it's this thing, like, later, somebody like, there's like four donuts gone. Who took them? Everybody knows. But here's the thing, here's here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that desire in you, the same way you have a physical desire for physical foods that you don't need, we have a spiritual hunger for junk food that's hurting us, killing us, and keeping us from becoming mature in Christ. And so he's saying the way you overcome it is consider yourself to be dead. So imagine, imagine if if you happen to outlive me, which is not a chance, I'm going to live forever. But imagine you outlive me and one day you come to my funeral and you walk in and because you love me, you bring me like one final box of Krispy Kreme donuts. And you walk up to the casket and you take that thing out and you wave it underneath my nose. Now, there might be a resurrection. <laughs> but probably, probably what's going to happen? Nothing. Do you know why? Because the desire in me for a donut is dead just like I am. So he's saying, God's saying, listen, that passion in you, that hunger in you, that desire in you for wickedness, for wrongdoing. Sex is awesome, whether you're married or not. But it's healthy in the context of one man and one woman in the relationship of marriage for life. Business is great. Desiring to prosper and pursue success is awesome. Fudging bottom lines, manipulating deals, taking advantage of people feels good when you make the profit, but it'll hurt later. And so here's what he's saying is, listen, man, there's this hunger on the inside of us that ultimately if we don't manage it, it will kill us. Watch this, verse 12. Everyone read this with me. Do not let sin control the way you live and do not give in to sinful desires. When he talks about these sinful desires, he's talking about, he's saying, don't appease your appetite, that we have an appetite for destruction. We do. We have a physical appetite for destruction. There are things that we eat that we know we shouldn't eat. McDonald's food, help me anybody. Listen, don't y'all act like you don't eat there. They sell, like, sell, like, there's like 10 billion people served and you are some of them. 
Listen, you go to McDonald's and you go through there and it's awesome. And the fries are wonderful. And the best thing in the world is when you think you're out of fries and there's one more fry down hiding in the bottom. It's like manna from heaven. And then you get a McDonald's hangover. You're like, why did I eat that? Is it? Come on, the same stuff happens spiritually where there's this draw in us. There's a pull on the inside of every one of us in this room, an appetite for destruction. That if you don't throttle back, if you don't govern the desires in your life, you will consume things that will ultimately control you and bring your life to destruction. Some of your marriages are dying because of what you're consuming spiritually. Some of your relationships in this room are struggling because of what you're allowing in your life. Just because you can watch it, just because you can read it, just because you can say it, just because you can do it, doesn't mean it's healthy for you. And so Paul's like, hey, listen, guys, listen. We all have an appetite for destruction, but listen, we know better. And at some point, at some point, we have to allow truth to outrein thirst. We have to allow what we know to be true to make a greater weight on our decision than what we want. When I'm sitting in the restaurant, hear me. Listen, I know, listen, Alfredo with extra Alfredo sauce. It may be what I want, but I probably should get the salad. And if I eat too much Alfredo with extra Alfredo sauce, I'm going to get fatter than I already am. And so there's got to be this thing where I think truth has to outweigh thirst. So I know what your thirst is. And I may not know what your specific thirst is, but I know there is a thirst for wickedness in every heart in this room. Help me somebody. Just all amen me. Please help me. And it's your right as a person God created with a free will to fill that all you want. And you, can, and you can eat at the buffet line of this world all you want. And you will eventually feel it. And people around you will eventually see it. And it will eventually affect you in a way that you never thought would happen. And so he says, hey, listen, I want you to know this. Don't appease your appetite. So what's the option? Don't appease your appetite. Here's what I came to tell you. Feed the need. Everybody say feed the need. Feed the need. You have to make sure that in your diet spiritually is what you need. And so I was talking to my son the other day about the four food groups. I don't even know how he got into this conversation, but he had never heard of the four food groups. How many teachers are in the, are in the room? Teacher, raise your hand real high. Let's give it up. we got several teachers here. Man, we appreciate you guys investing in our kids. Y'all are awesome. So I don't know if something changed, but he looked at me and had no idea. But the four major food groups, right? Meat and meat. And bacon and steak, right? <laughs> and it's like meat and grains, dairy and fruits and vegetables. Isn't that it? He had never heard of it. What I want to just give you real quick, if you're going to feed the need, you have to meet kind of these four major spiritual food groups. Here they are, real quick, real quick. Number one is prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute. I came to faith church to hear them tell me I need to pray. I could have got that anywhere. I already know I need to pray. But here's what I found out. When I first heard I should pray as a Christian, like I decided, like, I'm, I'm going to pray for an hour. Because people who love Jesus pray for an hour. And like I got alone with God and I'm like, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, help me and forgive me. And Lord, I pray for the president and my pastor. And Lord, I pray for missionaries all over the world. And I was like 30 seconds in and I like ran out of stuff to pray for. But I want you to know something. Hear me. The way you interact in a relationship with your father is through prayer. Fasting is a way that you say no to your carnality and yes to your spirituality. 
And so it's this process that you're feeding yourself what you need. Number two, real quick, real quick, worship. Everybody shout worship. And I don't mean just what you sing on Sunday. I mean how you live on Monday. Because, see, we got it down on Sunday. We like to lift our hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then we walk out and live like the devil on Monday. Do you know every decision you make that honors God is part of your spiritual nutrients that helps you grow, grow up spiritually? And so God's calling us, man, to be people who show up to church to worship, who show up to church to worship, who show up to church to worship. The trend of our culture right now in America is people who attend church one time a month consider themselves regular attenders. I'm just telling you, if you ate that way physically, you would be starving. And so part of our worship is showing up in church and, and, and hanging out together and worshiping God. But it's also our lifestyle. The decisions we make is part of our spiritual nutrients to grow. Number three, giving. You can hear a pen drop right there. <laughs> Do you know why, man? Because as a culture, we feed the greed. And generosity breaks the power of greed in our life. Do you know when you give, and not just money and not just the church, why I think you should be a tither of the place you worship, I'm talking about your time, your talent, your treasure. I'm talking about your gifts and not just the church. I'm talking about to your neighbor. I'm talking about culture around us. That when we stop making it about us and start making it about the world that we live in, we start loving our neighbors the same way we want to be loved. That's part of the spiritual growth process, that when you give, really you're consuming spiritual nutrients. Number four, fellowship. Here, here at Faith Church, we have small groups. I think one of the things we all need in our spiritual diet is relationship. And not just relationship this way, relationship this way. The Bible says this about his word. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 4, that man should not live by bread alone. And that includes, that includes olive garden bread. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so he's saying, here's some stuff that you need. Here's some stuff that you got to get in, but you got to feed the need. Say that. You got to feed the need. And you got to make this switch where you get off the appetite of destruction and you start feeding the need in our life. I heard a story a long time ago. Don't know if it's true, but here was the conversation that supposedly happened between like this Indian chief, this Cherokee chief and his son. He told him and sat him down one day. He said, hey, son, listen, you know, on the inside of every person, there's this battle between the black wolf and the white wolf. There's this conflict that's happening and the black wolf is there in anger and rage and in bitterness and unforgiveness and lust. And it's fighting to take control of the person. But there's a white wolf that has love and joy and peace and kindness. And it's looking to take control too. And they're fighting one another. And the little boy looked up at his dad and said, Dad, which wolf wins? And the father looked at his son and said, whichever one you feed. See, there's a tension in us. That, man, we just want to eat off the buffet of this world. And we just want to eat, eat, eat. We just want to watch, watch, listen, talk, just engage. And somehow we think because we're not getting physically fat that we're spiritually healthy. And it's hurting us. And it's limiting us from growing to be the people God's called us to be. One more verse and we'll close. Check this out. I love this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For God, read it with me. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So God's saying, hey, if you don't like lima beans spiritually, God's saying part of your spiritual journey is I'm going to start changing your desires. While I still hate lima beans to this day, a lot of the stuff I avoided as a kid is some of my favorite stuff to eat right now. Has anybody else felt that way? Like stuff you hated growing up, like you're like, like I like it. Here's what I know is the more you feed yourself the right stuff spiritually, God, this is so cool. I can just tell you this has been my life. I love the world. I was all about the world. Did, I did the world well. 
And as I came into a relationship with Christ, I started walking in a relationship with him. He started giving me the desire and the power to live. Like he started changing my appetite. My appetite to go out and party on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He started changing that. My desire and passion for wickedness, like I had a desire to do the right thing. God's saying, listen, you may feel like you're in a place where you want to change but can't change, but watch this, but God, he's working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what's right. Does anybody here say, God, help me to adjust my spiritual diet? Come on, anybody here? Father, I pray in Jesus' name that God across this room in my own life, that Father, you would just continue, Lord, to help us. I know the tension is real. God, between what we want and what we need. And Father, it's so easy to give in. It's so easy to do. It's so easy to think and live what we want. But I pray in Jesus' name that we would elevate truth over thirst. Father, we would just begin to fill our lives with what we need to thrive. And so what I pray, God, just begin to do that work that you promised in Philippians. God, begin to do that in every life in this room. Begin to help us, God, to draw closer to you. God, to live greater lives for you. Father, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, that God, as we feed ourselves right, we're gonna be spiritually strong. In Jesus' name. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, again, I talked about earlier, the divine exchange, that God takes our brokenness, God takes our sin, God takes our mistakes, and man, he gives us grace, he gives us forgiveness. But you have to make a decision to want that and ask for that. And so if you're here today and you've never said yes to God's love, you've never said, yeah, I need his grace, I want you to know we're going to pray in a minute. If you want to include it in this prayer, in just a minute, I just want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. The Bible says, again, we've all sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That means we've all made mistakes. There is no self-righteousness at Faith Church. Do you know why? There's no hypocrisy because nobody in this room pretends to be perfect. We all make mistakes, including you. The Bible says that our sin separates us from God. The wages of sin is death. And it's not just one day we'll die, but potentially. See, God doesn't hurl anybody to hell. We live separated from God for eternity because people don't choose Christ. So Jesus came to die for your sin, to give you forgiveness. That if you'll say yes, he gives it freely. And so if you're in this room, you've never said yes to God's grace. You've never said yes to his forgiveness. And today you want to say, Pastor Steve, will you pray for me? I want God's grace in my life. I want to experience his forgiveness. If that's you, I want you to lift a hand real high all across this room, all across this room. No shame. Come on, throw a hand up real high. Say, Pastor, pray for me, man. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want his grace. I want his forgiveness. Throw it up, lift it up, leave it up real high all across this room. Thank you. Lift it up real high so I can see it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lift them up real high. Thank you. Thank you all the way in the back all the way to my right, my right over here. Thank you. A lot of hands. Listen, we're going to pray. The Bible says if we'll confess out of our mouth and we'll believe in our heart, we'll believe that Jesus died for us. If we'll speak that out of our mouth, the Bible says in that moment of faith, that we find forgiveness. So I want you to pray that with me. If you raise your hand, but every voice, will you pray together with them? Say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me and you offer me forgiveness. So I receive it change my life, forgive my sin. And because you live, I live too. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Can we lift the lid off this place for about 11 people?